This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. And so today we're going to conclude this short series. We started last week with First Comes Love, Then Come In-Laws. And if you weren't here, we talked about boundaries and how to leave home well and how your family of origin influences you as a couple, does not define who you can become as a couple. Today we're talking about something we've never talked about, uh, so specifically in a message, first comes love, then comes the empty nest. And we're going to talk to uh, married couples in the empty nest, we're going to talk to widows and widowers, we're going to talk to adult children who have parents and that you see what it is that your role is, what my role is as adult children with uh, older parents or aging parents, how we are to conduct ourselves in this season of life. Uh, And the scripture actually says, so that it would be pleasing to God, that it would be pleasing to God. And I've had this one uh, encouragement from scripture. I've tried to carry through all of my ministry life and I've not been good at it in all of my years as a pastor, and I'm, I'm to, this week it really came back to mind, it's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul tells young Timothy in the church, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but appeal to him as a father. And I can tell you I've blown that passage many times in 25 years, but today I am praying, and I've prayed all week, that some of the harder things that need to be shared, I would, I would communicate that to my senior friends uh, in this season of life, I want to appeal to you as a father and not to rebuke you, but there are some things that need to be shared. Uh, Bob Buford wrote a great book. I want to encourage those of you who are in the second half of your life, uh, or maybe you just retired to pick up the book Halftime. Great book. Like, what do you do after the mantle of responsibility on your job has been removed? You've retired from a job, your kids have left, so you've got no more school schedules, no more tuition payments. Uh, you've, got, you've got more money than you've ever had and less responsibility. <laughs> We're going to address that very attitude right there, uh, ma'am, in the back. Because uh, some would say, it's time to party. Right? Okay, and we'll, we'll address that. But we're really this series, and the church is encouraging those in the fourth quarter, maybe in the third quarter, some of you who are in overtime, to, to make the most of this time. And here's what he says In the first half of life, we're hunter gatherers, doing our best to provide for our families, to advance our careers, to build up that 401k, to get that pension, and to pass our beliefs and values on to our children couple things about this that we're going to address today. One, once your children leave home, you're, it, it, it's not an end to the influence you have in passing on what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about the church, what you believe about loving one another, what you believe about caring and serving others. That doesn't end when your children leave home. And actually right now, you're probably in a season that's the most influential season of your life. But what's been removed from you is this burden of hunting, gathering, and providing for a family. Maybe you have a large family and like, man, these kids eat a lot. And this inflation time is, has been a difficult season for you. Gas now over, at, it's at 409 in Branson. And you're telling the kids, guess what? We're camping in the backyard this summer. <laughs> but what, what do you do once all of that is lifted? And how do you continue to be an influence with your values and your beliefs as your kids leave home? 
In Psalm 71, 18, we get this lament. And you know what a lament is? A lament is deeply passionate. It's crying out to God. I'm hurting. I'm frustrated. I'm overwhelmed. And God, I need you to hear this. I mean, that's a strong prayer to bring to the Lord. I need you to hear this. I don't know if you're listening right now. That's That's the tone and the message of a lament. Incline your ear to me. And look at what it says in Psalm 71, 18. Lament. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. I can't tell you how many times I've been by a bedside. Pat Kershaw was in the first service and her mother, Muriel. Uh, the number of times I visited Muriel in her 90s as she lost her eyesight. And she'd just be sitting there in the chair and I'd come in. I'd say, hey, Muriel, it's Ted. And, and uh, to hear Muriel say toward the end of her life, God has forgotten me. This is, this is a true lament of those at the end with months or years left to live. She said, I, I, you know, I get it. I don't have the responsibility. I can't care for someone right now. I don't have the energy. I don't have the, the abilities like I once did to do that. So I'm, I don't feel I'm being productive. I feel I've done all I can do. What is left for me? This lament, why am I still here? This lament says, God, don't forget about me until I declare the power, your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. I want those who come behind me to know who you are, all you did for me, and all you can do for them. I want to make the most of this season of life. That's why we say at this church, we equip parents and grandparents. We don't leave grandparents out because at Woodland Hills, we have a lot of grandparents who are raising their grandchildren, like in the home. Now, I'm not talking... They're dropped off three or four times a week for childcare. I'm talking full-time caregiving for grandchildren. And we believe you are the primary influence. The church, we want to be your backup singer. We want to be an echo of what we know you're teaching your children about Jesus at home. So you're the primary influence to lead your children and grandchildren to Christ. And last week, we looked at this verse in Genesis 2.24 as we talked about boundaries with your mom and dad, your father and your mother, We talked about having firm boundaries, knowing that your parents, your family of origin influences your marriage, definitely doesn't determine who you can become as a couple, but we looked at all the baggage in the boxes each family of origin brings in. And as we went through that, we talked about leaving well and the boundaries. It's essential if you're going to have a thriving marriage, if you're going to be united in the two becoming one flesh. But today we're going to talk to father and mother and what happens to us when our kids begin to leave home. And young people, man, please lean in and take this with you because you have parents and grandparents who are going to need your help. And we, we taught Genesis 2, 24 to our kids for a long time, and I'm sure I'll get another amen back there on this. We summed up Genesis 2, 24 with this. We love you. You're a welcome addition to this home. Your mom and I have big plans after you leave. Well, what are you going to do? Well, first of all, we're going to Disney World. We're going to start the whole thing off with a trip to Disney World to congratulate ourselves to the Flower and Food Festival. So what are your big plans after your kids leave home? What are you doing with all of these resources, this time, your thoughts? You're not keeping kids' schedules and drop-offs and pickups and doctor's appointments, academics, athletics. That's all not in your mind anymore. What are you doing? You're like, Ted, here's my first big plan right here taking a long nap. These children have sucked the life right out of me. I love this picture. You've heard the story of the old couple. They got up 
made breakfast, and they're sitting at the breakfast table, and the old man's looking out both sides of the kitchen. He's going, what is going on? He realized the sun was coming in on the wrong side of the kitchen. And he realized at that very moment that they had gone to bed so early, they got up before the sun set. That is old age, my friends, right there. You have napped all day long. You only need three, four hours sleep. You go to bed after Jeopardy, and then you're up, and it's 8.30 p.m. So rest. Hey, you can find rest in the empty nest. Yes, we get that. Some of you are like, it's not just rest for us. It's going to be a lot of golf and a lot of fishing. I've met this person, though. I've met the person, did a lot of golf and a lot of fishing for three months after they moved to Branson. They're like, there's got to be something more. Yeah, we make you care pastors. Uh, we make you small group leaders because there is more. Golf, have fun in the emptiness. You can find rest. You can have fun. But what we're talking about today is this right here, the influence that you have over your children, your grandchildren, and in this case right here with Lloyd and Corinne, your great-grandchildren. And we want nothing about the way we live and the relationship we have with our kids to stand in the way of their relationship with Jesus. Uh, I, I, I married into this family, but Lloyd and his son, Denny, is sitting in here today. But, uh, you know, we were told by Gary Smalley when we started our family, you got to get into camping, right? Camping is the secret to a close-knit family, he would say. Because camping is scheduled disasters. And all the Treasure League pe- people said, amen, right? Things have got to break. Things have got to freeze up. Things Anyway, and so we did. We, our very first camping trip was to Lemieux Campground in Faribault, Minnesota. And I'm not great at backing up camper, or campers and trailers. Like, it's, this makes no sense. You're going this way and the trailer's going that way. I've never been able to put the two together. Okay, what are we doing here? All right, where are we going? And so <laughs> it's, it's bad. So I drove, you know, 12 hours with the camper up and just made my whole job, the whole vacation was don't back yourself into anywhere you got to back up. Everywhere is forward driving with this thing. We get to the campground and the guy tells me, and Lloyd's standing right there with me, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have full hookups where you got to park this camper. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, you're going to have to just, as you need to dump your tanks, you're going to have to drive down the hill and dump them down there. And I'm like, like my wife enjoys showering. That's been always been a big thing of hers. She enjoys, and the whole camp shower thing, she's never been into. And so I told the guy, I go, I, I can't go. I, I got to dump this thing. He goes, we're going to have to drive it down. I go, I'm not driving this thing down. So you know what I did? And I didn't tell Lloyd I was doing it. I went to Walmart and I bought every single septic hose they had. <laughs> and am I making this up, Denny? I'm not making this up. It's a story I'll be known for for years. About 220 yards of septic hose. From my camper, down the hill, through the campground. This is why Treasure Lake won't give me a spot. They won't let me at Treasure Lake. They're like, what kind of redneck? Even, even trailer parks have rules, Ted. And I'll never forget Lloyd walking around the corner to my septic field, going down through the campground. And he just laughed. And let me tell you something about this guy. He was the patriarch of our family. And loved his family. Let me tell you, he did it all. Hunting, fishing, the outdoors. But to this day, how long has he been gone? 12 years? 12 years. Still someone we talk about. Still someone we share stories about. Still 
someone we want to be like. But that's what we're talking about today with influence. I can't go into an RV park without thinking about Lloyd and thinking about how it's convenient that you have your, you know, your dumps right there uh, for people. <laughs> but here's, here's the feeling. Let me give you this feeling. It comes from Finding Joy in the Empty Nest by Dr. Jim Burns, and he sums up what a mom told him about the feeling from an empty nest and everything we just talked about. I was terrified, this mom said. This is called the empty nest syndrome. It's not a clinical diagnosis, but it's the feeling. I had no idea what I was going to do now that I was no longer anchored by school runs and filling the refrigerator. When I looked at my life without my children in the house, it looked dark and gloomy. I dreaded it. My existence seemed almost meaningless, like part of me had died. And I'm here today to tell you, no. No, you could be in the most influential season of your life. There's still a lot to do. And there's still plenty of engagement. And, you, and, and actually, it's going to be more time to do it because the mantle of responsibility is lifted. Dr. Jim Burns, we quoted him last week with the boundaries. Keep the welcome mat out and your mouth shut. Make sure you tell your face too. Remember we said that? And he says this. When your child leaves home and their life fills up with fresh experiences, follow their lead. Follow their lead. And so I want to start by talking to the married couple real quick. Just four quick things from the Song of Solomon. For you who find yourself in an empty nest and how to rekindle the marriage. And, and by the way, if you're married with children at home, don't wait for the empty nest to do all this. Prioritize your marriage now. All of this you can practice now. But this is to the couple whose children have left home. Number one, since you're not thinking about schedules, sports, academics, and all of that, you got more time to think about each other. Give each other thought time. Ask each other great questions. Listen, understand, validate, empathize with one another. Find out what the other one is going through. Remember when you were first dating and engaged, you used to fight over who was going to hang up the phone first. I can tell you that hasn't happened in a long time in your marriage. It says this, and I love this word picture from the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 13. This is the Shulamite woman. They're not yet married. Chapter 1 and 2, they're dating. Chapter 3, they get married. But my beloved to me is a sachet of myrrh here speaking of the myrrh that would rest between a woman's breast at night that that would perfume her body. And she's saying, I go to sleep thinking about him. I dream about him. I wake up thinking about him. And there's some ladies in here right now going, I got to take care of myself. That's a half, almost full-time job. And some of you are going, honey, I will not be dreaming about you tonight. Listen, rethink about each other. You have now time and energy to put into one another. So rethink, refresh each other. You've got the time and the resources. I love this word picture that she gives in chapter two. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow or in his shade. I enjoyed to just be with him. He was refreshing to me. Yes, golf. Yes, fish. But I got to encourage you in the empty nest, find stuff you love doing together. Be together. Refresh each other in activities. Not saying you can't have your own, but just refresh each other. But I enjoyed it. He was someone I enjoyed being around. She's someone I enjoy being around. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. And what does this tree provide? It provides shade, protection from the sun, but it also provides a snack. So it's, there's multiple functions to this sitting and enjoying time together. 
After they've been married for a little bit, the Shulamite bride invites the busy shepherd king out on a retreat. And you got time for this too. Number three, retreat together. Take trips together. Be purposeful in these trips. I love what it says in chapter 7, verse 11 of the Song of Solomon. Come, my beloved, let us go to Branson. Let us, <laughs> let us spend the night in the villages. I wonder if this is where they got uh, that Florida community. But come, my I, I doubt it. Uh, my beloved, let us go to the country. Let us spend the night in the villages. We need to get away from our home and from our town and spend time. And be purposeful with this. Plan the next year of your marriage. Plan the next trips. Put some marriage goals in place. Speak words of high value over one another. Take an honor list with you on the trip. I'm just telling you, you got the time. You got the resources for it. Plan time away. And this next one, the last one, I can barely look at you, my senior adult friends, when I share it. But on this retreat, rekindle the intimacy. All right? Oh, this is so awkward speaking to my... In the Song of Solomon, on this retreat, when they got away to the countryside and to the villages, she says, and while we're there, checking out the vineyards, okay, there I will give you my love. You know what what she's saying? She's saying, bound, bound, chicky, chicky, bound, bound, is what she's saying right there. And that's where I'm leaving it, grandma and grandpa. I can't, I'm not saying anymore. That's all you're getting. And can I just give you this? This, this? this is from experience that I share this with you as your pastor, okay? You need to give your grandma and grandpa a little bit of notice before you show up, okay? You need, you need to call and say, I'll be there in an hour, all right? Just when you thought. Can we take a change now to a, to a very important part of this message and one that I share with fear and trembling, seriously. And, and this is where I do not want to rebuke an older man, but want to appeal to you as a father. Widow, speaking to widows and widowers, and then our responsibility as a church, our responsibility as children and grandchildren. Okay, widows and widowers, you are free to remarry or remain single. The scripture is clear on this. After you lose a spouse, you are free to remarry. You are free to stay single. Understanding whatever decision you make, both decisions have blessings and challenges. If you remarry, there will be great blessing and there will be challenges as well. If you stay single, there's a blessing to that. You're going to have time to serve, time to serve the church, time to serve others in a way that married people can't. Paul's very clear on that. But it will come with blessings and challenges as well. And at this church, we honor the widow and the widower. We love you. We've mourned with you. We continue to mourn with you. We have been there graveside with you. So know everything we're sharing in this is we don't want anything about your possibly new relationship to stand in the way of a child or grandchild's relationship with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 7, we read, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, 
She is free to be married to whom she wishes. This isn't just an uh, apostolic tag on here. This is key. This is the heart of Paul when he's sharing this to the church at Corinth. All of this follows suit with only in the Lord. In other words, if your spouse dies and you begin to date again, date someone who loves and walks with Jesus. Not someone who said on a profile or said in an email or in a message on an online dating site, I've been a Christian my whole life. That's not what we're saying. Not someone who says I was baptized as a child, confirmed at the age of 12. That's not what we're saying. Not someone who says I'm a Methodist, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Baptist, I'm a naming denial. That's not what we're saying. We're saying find someone to the widow and the widower in here that is walking with Jesus. Because you want someone who is going to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. You're free to remarry in the Lord. Only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9 says, To the unmarried, which is, tends to be where we focus on this text, to the unmarried. And when we hear unmarried, I know a lot of people hear unmarried and they think 20-something single. But Paul says, to the unmarried and the widows... He includes them. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But, again, here's where you're free to do either. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So whether you are 25 years old and single, or 75 years old and a widow... Everything we're talking about right right now applies to both. There are not different passages for the 25-year-old single when it comes to marriage and the, and the widow when it comes to marriage on honoring marriage, which is what we read in Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all. So whether you're 20 and single or 80 and a widow or a widower, honor marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. So if I can give some practical ways that we need to do this. And again, to encourage you, those older in our congregation, appealing to you as a father. If you decide to date, and I get it, I've I've talked to people just shortly after a funeral. and, And they've told me, the loneliness, Ted, at night is the worst. Going home to an empty house and then to a dark house, it is a lonely, lonely feeling. And I understand that. And you begin... Dating. Here's just a couple things we need to encourage you, and I need the adult children and the young adults, teens, to lean in on this more than anything. If you begin dating as a senior or as a widow, widower, let your adult children know you're dating, not for their approval, but for your care. I asked my mother-in-law if I could share this story, and I'm not giving a lot of details. I'm just giving kind of a high-level understanding of this, but... When Amy's grandmother passed away, Linda's mom, uh, Amy's grandfather, as he approached his 90s, uh, none of us, so think about 90-year-old grandpa, none of us had a clue he was meeting people online. We had no idea. Uh, We really didn't know and didn't get involved until he had given away pretty much his entire life savings. And, and that's hard. That's hard when the postmaster from a town calls you and says, I have an envelope with 
lots and lots of cash in it that's been going to this. Man, well, that's hard. That's hard to hear. What's even harder to do, though, is to sit down with Grandpa and explain to him the person you think you're in love with the person you think you're in love with that's going to move to Minnesota to be with you, the person who you think you're in love with who is in her 70s and has been talking to you and you've been falling in love with this person, how about this for a hard conversation? Grandpa, that person doesn't even exist. Do you know how many times we've done that in this church? It's the first time we've ever talked about it from the front. You know how hard that is to look at someone who comes to us after they've given away all their money asking for the church to give benevolence to help someone that doesn't even exist. That's hard to say, no, we're not giving you any benevolence. But you know what's harder is to look at them and say, the person you think you're in love with isn't even a real person. I, I, Amy and I can honor Denny and Linda and all they did to go up to Minnesota and get Roland and bring him down here. Can you imagine picking up your 90-year-old father, driving him to Branson while he's calling the police on you on his way down, telling them, I've been kidnapped. I watched him walk through all of this with this man. And I watched two people care for him. And I watched a relationship reconciled and restored. Even after multiple attempts on his life. After he tried to take his life. And, and we read this in 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 4. It, I, you don't need to ask permission of your adult children. Are you okay if I start dating? I, I, you, we'll talk about that in just a second because I know that's, that's where angel dared to trot in a lot of families. But this is to the church. Give proper recognition to those widows, and here it is, who are really in need. There are widows in here that are in need, and our church has helped. Benevolence has helped and will continue to help. But there are widows and widowers in here who are not in need. Like, well, how do you determine if a widow or a widower is in need? Paul shares that clearly. It's a widow who has no family, a widow who has no family to take care of her. That then falls on the church. So first, it's family. Second, it's church. And notice I haven't even mentioned government. It's not the role of the United States government to take care of my parents. It's not the role of the United States government to take care of Roland. It's my job. It's your job. And that's how you know who's really in need. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. And some of you right now are going, oh, yes. They were so expensive, and I just need a little bit of it back at the end. You're repaying your parents and grandparents. And here it is. This is pleasing to God. It is pleasing to God. And some of you right now are just thinking about the job you need to take care of yourself. And let me tell you, that's not enough. You need to get after it. Get established in a job. Because yes, you have family to take care of. And as soon as those family, those children get up and leave home, that responsibility is going to shift to taking care of a different side of the family. You got to work. And you have to provide for parents and grandparents. It doesn't fall on the church first. It falls on you. It falls on me. So that our parents wouldn't really be in need. And the whole point of sharing all of this, if I can just say to the widower, the widower, let your children do this for you. It's why they're going to ask questions. It's why, and again, you're not asking permission to date, but you need your child 
your adult child to come alongside and make sure that you're not sending $25,000 in cash to a bogus post office box. That you're not sending a credit card to a bogus person who racks up fifty dollars to $100,000 worth of debt on a Discover card. Right? That's what kids and grandkids can do very well. Help care for you. If you also start dating, if I can encourage you, follow the same dating guidelines you would want your grandchildren to follow. They're still watching, listening, and learning. If the way you're living and carrying on right now is what you would be okay with your 18-year-old granddaughter and grandson doing, that's the question you need to ask. This is a picture of my grandma and her boyfriend. My grandma died at the age of 90. I think Leo was 98 when he passed away. I'd have to verify that. Both widow, widower, they were family friends. True story, they dated for 25 years. Living in separate homes. And this was their dating story. Leo picked up Mary Jane every single day and took her to church. And after church, they went to dinner. I would be over at my grandma's house, 20 years old, having a great conversation. When Leo's car pulled up in the driveway, there wasn't, love you, grandson, thanks for stopping by. Conversation was over. And grandma was out the door. I love this picture because you see how my grandma was holding her purse. Every time you saw my grandma, whether at home, in public, she had her purse strapped to her like that. I'm like, Grandma, what's going on? Because somebody was always going to steal her purse. But can I encourage the widows in this church? What kind of man are you looking for? You know what you're looking for in a man who follows Jesus? Someone who will pick you up. This is, I'm talking about dating right now. Someone who will pick you up, take you to Applebee's, drop you off at home and go to his own home. That's what you're looking for in a man who follows Jesus, who honors marriage and who keeps the marriage bed pure. That's what you're looking for. There are, I know, many struggles with this, but when you're finally married, after dating and you get married, you will need to establish clear boundaries, just like we talked about last week, with your adult children as you prioritize your marriage. And there are couples in here who are remarried later in life who will tell you it's one of the greatest challenges of their life. The relationship they have with their adult children. We talk about prioritizing marriage in this church all the time. And it's no different whether your children are at home or whether your children are adults. Marriage is a priority because that is two becoming one. There are five reasons. I wouldn't call them the top reasons, but they're the most often heard reasons that I receive from adult children who are resisting a parent's new marriage. I'm going to run through these real quick. One, your child's still mourning the death of a parent. And so you're, you're gonna, you'll experience that. Uh, two, personality conflict. They just don't like the person you're dating. And can I just say this to the adult children in here? Can you give it some time? Because you got to get to know a new person too. And I would just, I would, I would have lots of grace there. Number three, skeptical of new spouse's motives. Gold digger. Mm, coming out again. That moves on. Number four, fear loss of caregiving decisions. Anybody here watch the show, This Is Us? Okay, I hate to tell you this, but... That is a great example of an enmeshed family. 
uh, these three kids love their mom, love her dearly. And in the, you know in the last episode, I shouldn't give anything away in case some of you are watching it on Netflix. Uh, she remarries. Rebecca remarries Miguel. And Miguel is making decisions for Rebecca's health in the final years of her life. And the children keep, I'm just going to say it to the This Is Us fans, you're going to hate me for saying it. They keep butting in. Like, well, they love their mother. Love your mother. Offer it. But lean on Miguel, who's of sound mind and body. Because guess what? Marriage is the priority. And I know that's a, a resist. And the other one is this, five. Fear, law, losing inheritance. Look at some of you are like, I'm spending it all. Can I just say, these are five reasons that should lead you to a a great conversation, an open and honest conversation. None of these reasons should keep you from remarrying. They're they're not reasons to say, okay, I'm not going to remarry because my son doesn't get along with my new wife or my my soon-to-be wife. But I want to encourage adult children to have the conversation in a mature way and then parents the the whole thing this was so awkward like talking to your mom and dad uh, with this message right now um have the conversation lead it do it i'm going to give you the same thing i opened with right don't rebuke an older man harshly but appeal to him as a father billy graham says this The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. That's why in your last quarter of life, or for some of you who may be in overtime, this is why we take marriage so seriously. This is why we honor marriage. This is why we esteem it as highly valuable and we keep the marriage bed pure because your children are still watching, listening, remembering, and repeating. And we want you to do this well I want to be, and I, long after you're gone, like we have with our grandparents still, is we have these great conversations. They, they, they're, not, they're no longer with us, but boy, the stories are. The influence is there, and we want that for each of you as you influence and lead your children to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we come to you thanking you for Uh, Those adult children in our church who are doing this right now, they are repaying their parents and their grandparents. They're providing. They're building homes near them for mom and dad. They're building on an extra room in their house to care for them. They're providing the payments for assisted living and for uh, retirement homes or for a nursing home. Uh, They're paying the bills on the medication. They are stepping up, pleasing you in the way they provide for and repay their parents. And we honor them today. We mourn with the widow and the widower today who is still uh, mourning over the loss of a spouse. We come alongside them. Continue to, to make generosity a part of this church so that the widows who are really in need, we can provide for and care for, that they would know this is a church that wants to and that we would always be open uh, to providing for their needs. And pray for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he has been raised from the dead that they might be saved. We pray all of this in the authority of the name of Jesus. Everyone agreed and said, amen.